0: Because he's white. let What you to you to the your you We ain't nothing to do. not <laughs> take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? don't take care of y'all mantle. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexicution Podcast. I am your host, Burt Peloshotti. With me now and always is my boy Kyle Suttle. What's going on, dude? What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> Alright, man. So the season's getting a little closer. Baseball's about over, hockey's done. We're into the the one month of the year where all we got is baseball. And uh, both of our teams are really <laughs> struggling. I'm living out here like near St. Louis and Cardinals fans are just dead. They're just weak.
1: I can't imagine what it's like back home right now. That whole team, or that whole city, runs off that team. So with the just terrible, putrid last couple of months that they've had, it must be like hell walking down the street near Bush right now.
0: Yeah. Between that and like the Blues being sellers right now after the season, it's like yeah. they're all walking wounded out here. Not good for
1: St. Louis sports right
0: now. I mean, hopefully they'll uh, they'll get a XFL team back here when that comes back up. <laughs>
1: hey, they're gonna get me back. Here in the next year or two, so the entire city can go ahead and claim that.
0: Win. <laughs> just when I thought it couldn't get worse. <laughs> you shut <show laughs> up.
1: <laughs>
0: Alrighty then, let's get into the news.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Check
0: it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. Alan Robinson and Chris Godwin do not sign extensions, so they are going to be forced to play under the franchise tag this year. Are you surprised by this? And uh, if not, I mean, what do you think it means for their fantasy future?
1: Yeah, surprise, no. As far as I, I happen to have shares of both of these guys in Dynasty, and it's. I probably don't want Chris Godwin. I'll start with him. I probably don't want Chris Godwin start hanging out in Tampa Bay once Brady's gone. It's already a so-so situation because it is a high-powered offense. It's going to be a lot of passing yards, but there's, there's a lot of players there who are going to uh, demand targets. So Chris Godwin's really got to fight for his. If he could go somewhere and get the chance to be a surefire one with a decent quarterback, I, I think that he can get back to being that player that we all looked at him as a year ago as that high-end WR1. still only 25 years old so i'd kind of like to see him get out of that tampa bay situation as for Allen robinson uh jury's still out for me we got to see what we got at quarterback there before we make any sort of judgment on whether it's a good situation or a bad situation for robinson the positives is that he's going to have a crazy high target share somewhere around 25 30 percent is probably where he's going to end up and if justin fields is giving him quality targets he may turn that into wr1 numbers once again so it as far as long-term extensions, I'm not heartbroken that neither one of them got them. But I don't know. I don't necessarily want them to leave either. It's, it's kind of just neutral for me. I
0: mean, it's not a surprise that either, neither one of them got extensions in, in a year where the cap is lower than yeah, than we sure. all thought it was going to be. So so I agree with you. I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, Allen Robinson... Going to get pepper with targets. I think he's a top 10 guy this year.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think both of them have similar ceilings, similar floors. They're going to get enough targets, I think, in their offenses that both of them have an upside of that mid range QB1, I'd say, with a downside of somewhere in that middling, or did I say QB, sorry, WR1 range, and then the downside of probably middle end WR2, maybe low end WR2.
0: Yeah, they seem like safe receivers, which is kind of very weird, much, weird yeah. to say because you always get bust out of receivers, especially ones uh, that have kind of. Mi- potentially changing situations with uh Robinson Gowan not signing them fr- or having to sign a franchise tag
1: you're at the point where like maybe a year or two ago you loved having these guys as the WR1 on your team but now you just you really would much rather have them I think as the WR2 and I think it's the perception of their ceiling has changed a little bit and now they look like four plays where they both have that high floor and I think that's what you want out of your WR2
0: absolutely I, and uh another really uh, important player in terms of the fantasy landscape, Saquon Barkley. He was recently on the Rich Eisen show and uh, he was asked about his knee, obviously. And uh, he himself, he said he doesn't have a, a timetable for his return. He's not sure when he's going to be able to make it back. And uh, he didn't want to put a date on it. And that's a little concerning. Um, I know we're still early. We still have we're ways away from training camp and, and then eventually week one, but a guy that's getting drafted as a top six player, in single quarterback and a first rounder end of the first rounder and uh you know super flex that's kind of scary i'm not sure if i'd be willing to to put guys ahead of him that i normally wouldn't drip but you know when it comes to guys that i love like jonathan taylor i think i would probably take him over saquon um i honestly think jonathan taylor is going to be He's going to put up Saquon-level numbers because I think they're in in similar situations where they're they're going to be the focal point of their offense. And, uh, you know, with Carson Wentz and Indy, we're not sure if he is ever going to return to form. So maybe the quarterback situation isn't all that different in uh, Indy as it is in New York. So I think both teams want to run through the running back. And, you know, if if Jonathan Taylor's healthy and Saquon Barkley isn't, um, I really like Jonathan Taylor's outlook over Saquon.
1: Yeah, we could probably debate that at a a later time. I don't think now is necessarily the time and place to get into it, but I would definitely be a Saquon guy over JT, and and the biggest reason is going to be – the pass catching, but I'll just leave it at that and keep us from getting into a, a full 15 minute. Yeah. It's the, it's the,
0: it's news <laughs> section, but I couldn't help. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> saw the no, opportunity uh, I was like, I got in.
1: I think I said it last show. I can't remember if I did or not, but I'm, I'm really not paying too much attention to this news or lack of news when it comes to injuries. They're, everyone's going to get the full workup whenever they report for training camp here in a couple of weeks. And then if some things come out, then it's like, Oh, okay. The knee's not where we thought it was going to be. Then maybe I'll start paying attention. Maybe I'll think about moving them down draft boards,
0: Okay, would well, would you move around a guy like Tariq Cohen, who's also dealing with residual symptoms from a knee injury in twenty twenty two? Apparently, good
1: attempt at a segue there.
0: Apparently, he's uh, he's dealing with a lot of stiffness still in that in that leg that he tore his ACL. And um, does this mean more about David Montgomery that people are giving him, uh, you know, are, are pumping him, yes. up, him up too much now that that we we're getting this news from Tariq Cohen?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think Tariq Cohen is has more control over David Montgomery's season than David Montgomery if that makes sense. If Tariq Cohen's going to be on the field like he was a couple years ago getting 80, 100, 120 targets over the course of the season, that's going to severely limit David Montgomery's outside upside. But if the Chicago Bears are sold on David Montgomery as a three down back and everything Matt Nagy says points to that talking about giving him 20 carries a game and everything like that, Tariq Cohen's not going to play as much of a factor, then yeah, I, th- I think I'd be very much a David Montgomery buyer. If, like I said, his upside is going to come down more. Do I think how much of an how much of a role is there for Tariq Cohen for the 2021 Bears?
0: So I'm looking up looking at David Montgomery's ADP to try to see how how much has changed recently. I know that it's been nonstop talk about how Tariq Cohen's uh, uh, injury is affecting more david montgomery than is affecting himself but mm-hmm. i think we might be kind of overreacting um a little bit we're kind of over with the with the two cohen news he's not out for the season he's going to be back yeah he might start the season slowly um but you know if he's 100 percent by week four is it really going to change david montgomery's season long projection much i you know i don't think so uh if you're You know, maybe you can get a ton of volume out of him in the first month of the season, which is great, especially in fantasy, where the season is only 13, 14 weeks, as opposed to the NFL season. You know, you add another month to that. So, yeah, I think I I think it's not bad news for David Montgomery, obviously. But don't don't overreact to it. You know, don't give it more play than you need to. That's all we got for the news, man. So let's move on to our main section. We got a sleepers, breakouts and bust section here for you guys today. And each of us have picked one for all different categories. We've got six players coming at you right here, right now. Kyle, give me your first player. Uh, Let's go with sleepers first.
1: All right. Start off with sleepers. I'm taking a guy who, as soon as I saw his ADP and how how low it was, the fact that he's going in the 17th round right now, specifically 1709 as the wide receiver 66, and that is Russell Gage, the WR2 for the Atlanta Falcons. So Gage is still young and it's not an attractive name. I don't know if the word Gage is ever going to be attractive for a fantasy asset. You see it. It's just one of the most boring names in fantasy, but he's still (laughs) only 25 years old going into his fourth season in the NFL. And he quietly had a pretty good 2020, even with sharing the field with Julio for about half the season. He finished with 72 catches, 786 yards and four touchdowns last season. And again, you had about half of that with Julio Jones and now Julio's out the door. Yes, Kyle Pitts is coming in, but he's also going to be a rookie tight end playing his first NFL season. I don't expect a massive target. Don't look <laughs> at me like that. I, I said straight up, oh, I love Kyle Pitts it, in Only Dynasty. when it's
0: convenient, huh? You're... I
1: love Kyle Pitts. He's still bus proof. I think he's going to have a solid season, but he's not commanding 150 targets in oh. year one like Julio has been doing. Okay, There's still going to be plenty of vacated targets out there for Russell Gage to soak up. If you want a little preview of what I think that's going to be like, you can look at the last four games of 2020 with Russell Gage. last four games that he played that season, all of those without Julio Jones. Russell Gage went over 15 fantasy points three of the four times. And he wasn't playing slouches either. He wasn't running up on bad teams, bad defenses. He played the Chargers, played the Tampa Bay Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice, and then Kansas City. And he put up 15 plus points in three out of those four games. That's a 16-game pace of 92 catches and over 1,000 yards. So although I don't think that's probably where his ceiling's at, I think you could get another season very close to what you got to him last year with probably a little bit of improvement either in the touchdown category, maybe a little bit more Volume, maybe instead of 72 catches, we see him up near the 80-90 mark. I think that's in the range of outcomes. I don't think he's a league winner, but I think he's a guy who can fill into your flex, and going in the 17th round of drafts is just criminally too late.
0: Why do you think he's going this late? Do you think it's just because, like you said, like people, people have name, heard of Russell, Russell Gage. Gage before many times, and they're just like... Nah, name him you know, Jack that.
1: Warhammer, and he'd be going in the twelfth round. I swear. <laughs> yeah, I named mean, like Jack Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been around for a little while. Like I said, he's going into his fourth season, and he's so I think he came in the same year as Ridley. If not, it was right uh, within a year or so. So Ridley gets all the hype there, and both of them are playing second and third fiddle to Julio. So it's never exciting to have Russell Gage on your team, but now we're we're entering a new era in. Atlanta, where we're going to have openings at the receiver position and someone's going to have to step up. Obviously, Calvin Ridley's still going to be the WR1 for that team and engages the number two with a bullet. I don't think there's much hype for Alamade Zacchaeus that's going to be taking much of that work. I think it's 100% going to be Russell Gage in two receiver sets. Maybe Zacchaeus soaks in some slot targets when they go uh, with 11 personnel. But if he's going to be the number two with a very good quarterback under center and Matt Ryan, an offense that really doesn't have the running back personnel to dominate a, 50, a 40, 45% rushing share. I think this is a team that's going to be throwing around 60, 65% of their plays through the passing game. And I think Russell Gage is, he's primed to receive a lot of those targets.
0: Yeah. I mean, round 17, I, I don't know if you can go wrong really. Um, but there's ways to find value. And I think you found it here with Russell Gage. It's the opportunity is there. We're not hundred percent positive, but I think he's a guy that you'll know what you have. Um, very shortly after you draft him. I mean, give it a month, right? and you'll know whether Russell Gage is was the value you thought he was, or you can move on. And, and there's other guys out there that have chances of opportunity that you could hopefully kind of snatch up there. But I like the pick of Russell Gage, especially as a sleeper, going in 1709. That's crazy. All right, so my first player, I'm going to start with sleepers as well, and that is Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore is going at the 1407 wide receiver 58. I've been talking about Elijah Moore a lot on this podcast, and uh, I mean, I'm just going to kind of run through what I thought about him leading into the draft and then kind of what I think about him now with the Jets and how I think you can get a lot of value from that. I mean, this is strictly a, pro- a projection, but everyone's excited about this kid. And I think it's because he's a tremendous athlete, num- first and foremost. That's got to be the one thing that really sticks out, you know, in an offseason where we-, we saw disappointing pro days one after another just kind of roll out in the spring he comes in with a great uh, pro day. You know, he's 5'10", 185. He had three different measurables that are all highly predictive for wide receivers. 40, 3-cone, and short shuttle all in the 90th percentile according to Mock Draftable, uh, which is a good resource if you get a chance to check that out. And his his archetype going to a place where they utilize ball and hand players in New York. Swing! So, he could be a Debo Samuel type, a Brandon Ayuk type, and that similar more of offense, and he also has the athleticism to, you know, you're not forcing a round peg into a square hole. He is, you know, he fits the bill of the the archetype you'd want to play that role. But if you look at player profile, his most comparable player is Tyler Lockett. And what Tyler Lockett Hmm. can do is play all over the field. And I actually really like that comp because Tyler Lockett is probably more known as a deep threat because he's catching passes from the best deep thrower in the league but right, it, those are it, the c- ones
1: who end up on Sports Center. You see? exactly. Those are the highlights.
0: Yeah, exactly. But what he can do in the middle of the field and, and in the short and intermediate is, is definitely underrated. If that's your comp, you know, it's definitely, you know, reason to be excited. Especially when, you know, the guys look around him, like Jalen Rager, Antonio Brown, Paris Campbell, Nicole Hardman, they've all kind of had their chance to live up to the hype. And then for each one of them, it's something different. Like Paris Campbell, a ton of injuries. I don't know if you really want to keep soaking or keep you know sinking resources oh, what are we soaking? Continue <laughs> that thought. I hear what we're soaking into paris campbell uh you know he's let you down quite a few times it might he, his career just might never get off the ground and Turner Brown, you, you can't rely on him whatsoever maybe he gives you a good 2021 but who's to say he's still on tampa bay next year or even in the nfl uh jaylen rager terrible rookie year on a bad team who also invested another first-round pick on a wide receiver so all the point I'm getting at here is the guys around him. Although you could you could be convinced to take them, don't take them over Elijah Moore. He has the higher ceiling. He's starting on a team that's going in the right direction. In court, like in my opinion, with their front office, their coaching staff, and their roster, um, it's a guy you want to invest in. It's a situation you want to invest in before it gets too expensive. And at the 1407, it's definitely not too expensive to take a guy like Elijah Moore.
1: And the situation you're talking about is probably. As much as I love Elijah Moore as a prospect and and how talented, obviously, that he is as a wide receiver, it's a situation that really gets me excited about that double-digit round ADP, which is is another one where I just can't believe he's going as late as he is. If you look at what he's got on his team, Corey Davis has proven at this point, he's now on his second NFL team, that he's not a number one receiver. He's he's a number two who's going to give you spite weeks, but he's not a guy that you can build an offense around. Tennessee tried to do it for years. Denzel Mims, although he's young and and because of that, maybe he's a little bit intriguing. He's received nothing but negative press. He just doesn't have a place in this new offense. It's, it's a new regime over there. They're bringing the Shanahan West Coast offense and there's, there's really no room in that offense for Denzel Mims to flourish. Not to say that he won't have a spot on the team or anything like that, but he's he's definitely not going to be the prime beneficiary of that kind of offense. Someone who might be is Jamison Crowder, who I would be much more excited about if he wasn't just forced to restructure his contract just to stay in town. <laughs> All these things point to Elijah Moore being at the head of this receiver group, at least in a year or two, if, if not right away, he's one of the few rookies, you could count on, probably on one hand, who I think have a chance to get into the NFL in year one, come out of their rookie season as the lead target or as the number one option in their offenses. In PPR, you love this guy because it looks like he's probably going to be a high-volume type player. He can, he can like you said, he can win at all levels of the field. That Tyler Lockett cop really got me thinking because if, if that's a part of his game that we can expect, everyone knew you were going to get the short stuff out of him. It, if it becomes a Tyler Lockett type situation where he's winning at every level of the field, this is a guy that is going to bump himself so far up ranks that you'll look back to a time right now where you could get him in the double-digit rounds and you'll say, holy cow, I cannot believe everyone was that stupid.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have shares of, of Elijah Moore anywhere, and that upsets me. I gotta find a place to yeah. get him. I know me and you have a have a have a draft coming up. We've been doing some mocks, so uh, I'm gonna snipe you, dude. Just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, let's move on to our next segment. We're gonna go to our breakouts. For me, I'm gonna move over to the tight end position, and I'm gonna tell you that TJ Hawkinson is the next elite tight end in the NFL. So we all know what the tight end landscape is like. We know that you're really, there's two or three guys, maybe four or five, depending on any given season that you want. And everyone else is just kind of floating. TJ Hawkinson is still only 24 years old, only into now his third season in the NFL. He has virtually doubled his receptions, his targets, his yards, and his touchdowns from his rookie year to his sophomore season. Now going into season number three, He's going to be, in my opinion, the lead target, the first option in an offense with the most vacated targets in the entire NFL with 313. He's got the size to be a dominant tight end at 6'5", 250. He's got the draft capital to be a dominant tight end. You remember, he went back at pick 108 in 2019. He has the athleticism. People sleep on TJ Hawkinson's athleticism because he always is going to be compared to Noah Fant. <laughs> <'Cause> he's white. <laughs> yeah, that might have something to do with it, too. But the fact oh, that he has dude. to go next to Noah Fant, I mean, those two are always going to be linked for their entire NFL careers, being the two best tight ends to come out of that 2019 clash. Although yes, Noah Fant freak freak athleticism. He's got wide receiver athleticism. It's you cannot look past TJ Hawkinson. He's a 70th percentile in every 70th percentile or better in every athletic measurable category for tight ends and above the 90th percentile in burst score and catch radius. I think this is the year that we see him break out for obvious reasons. He, you could not force a Ross-St. Brown onto a single one of my rosters. I'm, I'm not taking that bait. When they spend a first-round pick on a wide receiver, they bring in a big-name free agent. A Ross-St. Brown's value decimates. It's gone. But TJ Hawkinson's value is going to remain. He's going to be set in that tight end position with an upcoming team just because – I call them upcoming because they can't go any lower, right? They can't get any worse. <laughs> so this team's going to be on the come up. As soon as another quarterback comes in here, or maybe Goff just has some sort of renaissance, I'm not really – planning on that I don't expect that to happen but if they get a more capable quarterback under center with a little more uh, valuable targets heading Hawkinson's way I, I, ex- I expect his floor to be one of the highest in fantasy we just have to see the ceiling and I think this is the year that it all comes together
0: I'm, I'm not gonna say I, I don't agree with you because I, I do but it just seems like you're just the tight end guy this year don't belittle me no I'm, I'm just saying I agree with you I mean if I disagree <laughs> with you i tell you because usually I do but I'm the tight end guy. Now. You're, it seems like every young tight end, you're just you have this such rosy outlook on like it, like they just can't, they can't fail, and I think there there is a way that T.J. Hawkinson doesn't fail and or doesn't smash, and people are people are not talking about it at all. Like yes, he's good, he's very good. He's also catching passes from Jared Goff behind a bad offensive line. Hey, have in, you heard of in Tyler a tough, Higby? in a tough defensive division? It's just like I remember
1: that stretch that Tyler Higby had. I do. I mean, Goff is not an elite. Do you remember when Travis league trash. in
0: receiving yards for four weeks? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, get I the understand. F- out of your
1: but no, no, I'm saying this because like Tyler Higby had his stretch. And that was still with Cooper cup with Robert Woods. And I think Brandon cooks was still on the team at the time too. It's, Goff is good enough to carry these guys. Like, he's not trash. He was he was kind of thrown away because he can't run McVay's offense as well as he wanted to. He's not an elite quarterback by any means. He's probably not even a better than average quarterback, but he's good enough to get the job done. He can maintain one or two pass catchers as fantasy viable uh, options. And I think Hawkinson's going to be the main beneficiary with DeAndre Swift not far behind.
0: So, and I have another gripe with this. Bring it. <laughs> if he's going to tight end five, is he a breakout?
1: Yes, and I could only say that with the tight end position. I wouldn't be able to say that if he was going as like if he was a wide receiver one or or running back one. But it's just because of the landscape of tight ends. There's really only two tiers of tight ends: the elite guys that you take in the early rounds and everyone else. And I think that we're going to see the tier jump, and that's my version of the breakout. Where instead of being part of the everybody else crowd right now, you got Kittle, you got Kelsey, you got Waller, and then depending on how you feel, you got. Pitts and dynasty. But I think Hawkinson moves into that tier after the season he has this year, and I think that's why I call him a breakout.
0: You you know I don't like going tight end early, but I would I would definitely go Kelsey Kittle, Waller early if I was, you know, deciding to go that strategy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I could I don't think I could take TJ Hawkinson this early with the wide receivers that are going in the fifth round. I mean, I think Michael Thomas ADP was still in the fifth round. Um there's 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 guys that like when you have when you have a position that that you need to field two to three guys every week versus a position that's a onesie position like if you're in single quarterback one quarterback or most leagues only start one tight end unless it's like tight end premium where obviously there is a there's extra incentive to get guys like this i just really don't see him paying off that much as a fifth round pick i get the hype i just i can't buy in i get where you're coming i get where you're coming from
1: on that especially with the value that you have at the other positions at that spot, this is 100% me calling my shot and saying that I take him in that spot yeah. because I, I think he becomes that George Kittle tier. I think he becomes that Darren Waller tier. If if you got George Kittle or Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey several years ago in the mid rounds or e- even like the fifth or sixth round of a startup draft, you're ecstatic at this point at the career got out of him. All, all it takes is a couple of those elite years, and they're paying their price to that fifth, sixth round pick.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean. We'll find out here. He, you know, tight ends are very fickle. I mean, I think they they change the spots in the rankings so drastically because there's always a few random guys in the top ten every year. So, you know, I think this time next year we'll have a pretty good idea of where t- TJ Hawkinson, You know, if he should have been drafted this high, but I don't. I don't mind the yeah, pick. I don't mind the pick. It, at it's all. just
1: it's just the question on is, is he going to be that perpetual floor play like I think he's viewed right now, or does he eventually show some more upside? Can he be a thousand yard receiver as a tight end? We'll find
0: out my breakout candidate is Damian Harris he's going at 606 RB 34 um Kyle's heard me you know slap my gums about Damian Harris for months now I even did it last year I think I drafted him in multiple leagues last year and uh didn't work out but I'm back I'm (laughs) going back to the well I believe he's not only the most talented back on the team but I think the, the Patriots know that and you know, the Patriots are notorious for bringing on rookies slowly. They don't have the, the easiest offenses or defenses to learn. And, you know, they, they tend to get, uh, low workloads or low playing time, low snap counts early in their, in their, uh, career. But when he was healthy last year, I think he was very, very explosive and productive. I mean, he had three 100 yard games out of nine or 10 total games. And, in the season last year, and he was splitting carriers with guys, wasn't getting a ton of pass catching work. Uh, it's a run first offense, and I don't think that's going to change. I mean, whether Mac Jones comes in or not, I think there's still going to be a run first offense, and I think the weapons that they brought in more help facilitate a pass, uh, a uh, play action passing offense than they do, you know, an aired out style offense. Um, and I also think Mac Jones is going to come in early in the season and probably take that job for the remainder of the season, which I think bodes well for. Damian Harris as well, because when you look at Cam Newton, he had, I think, he had double-digit rushing touchdowns last year. Yeah. Um, if only if only a quarter of those or half of those go to Damian Harris, he starts to jump in those running back rankings quickly. Um, and he's 250 and 220 pounds. I mean, you don't think a guy like that would be, uh, you know, you don't think they would withhold goal line work from a guy like that. I mean, that's a big back in today's NFL. Um, and the, the whole pass-catching question mark, because that is the big question mark about Damian Harris – And it is a good argument because, you know, with a guy like James White in the building and the history he's had catching passes out of the backfield, it's hard to deny that he's still going to get his work. But what I'll say is Damian Harris can do it. We've seen him do it. He had more than 12 catches three years to Alabama, which isn't anything impressive, but it just checks the box. You know, we know he can get it done. So it's just a matter of the offense giving him that opportunity. And Mac Jones, you know, he threw the ball to Najee Harris a ton last year. And you know he knows the value of a good pass catching running back. So if Damian Harris can it's do Alabama it, an Alabama thing. Yeah, Damian Harris is at, at Alabama as well. So I think they're uh, roll tied together. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the <laughs> fuck that means. <laughs> <laughs> the craziest part is it's you know it's a startup. This is startup ADP, and, and he's getting drafted after guys or around guys like Alexander Madison and James Robinson. I mean, he's only 24 years old. So. Don't don't fall for those handcuffed backs that are going around him. He is an RB1 in his offense, and he's going to get a lot more work than people are expecting. So my
1: gripe with this is that Damian Harris, I think, is just going to be one of those guys who he's always going to be better for his NFL team than he's ever going to be for fantasy football. The things that we get as a fantasy football owner from our guys that will earn points, it sounds very obvious. You want to get touchdowns. You want to get catches. I don't know that Damian Harris is getting any of those. The – Snap share and I believe is going to be completely his. This is it's got to be his backfield, but I think we're going to see something very similar from than what we saw from Sony Michelle for the first couple of years when he was the lead back in New England when he was running the ball 200 250 times a season and that's great, but when you're putting up 900 yards and five six touchdowns, like is there really a spot in fantasy for that? And I mean there is. It's called your bench. I, I just don't know what the path is to a breakout for Damian Harris, how does he finish higher than RB 20 on any given season? Cause if he's not going to do it through pass catching and the offense is not going to be good enough that I don't think he's scoring double digit touchdowns, even if he takes that role. So what is his role into the RB two high end RB two conversation? Cause I don't see it happening.
0: I think it's a similar projection to a guy we're going to talk about later, Josh Jacobs, when he first came out of Alabama where it may not be the best offense that they're walking into, but the offensive line when Josh Jacobs got to the Raiders was really good. The offensive line in New England is really good. And all it takes is the volume, and he's going to be a weekly starter for you. And I think I'm calling my shot saying that the volume is coming. And, you know, James White being, I think he's 30 years old now and was 31 years old, um, how much time does he have left? With New England. So, I mean, if he's not around this, you know, late this year, maybe he gets cut. You know, the Patriots get rid of guys before their value is really gone. Um, they, they definitely get cut bait on guys earlier than most teams would. You know, maybe next year we look at Damian Harris as a locked a loaded top 24 back. I just think going right here at, uh, what is it, RB, yeah, RB 34. 34. He's just at, yeah, he's at, he's at the back end of RB three. I think it's way late. And uh, call it a breakout or not, I just I I think you can guarantee a much more volume for him this year. And in my opinion, he's talented enough to take that into RB two territory. Um, so right, do yeah, that's then. my shot. Help me,
1: help me expand my horizons, and tell me your ceiling stat line for Damian Harris this upcoming season. Tell me how he becomes that relevant quarterback or running back.
0: Uh, rushes over a thousand yards. Okay, has over a
1: thousand. So. Around 1,000,
0: 1,100. I don't want to be over-ambitious. I'll say... No, be
1: over-ambitious. I want to hear the ceiling here because that's what really concerns me is I don't think there's much of a ceiling. I think he's a fine floor play if you go a zero RB strategy or you just need him for depth, but help me understand how this guy is somebody I want starting for me every week. Where Where is that ceiling? Because I have a tough time envisioning anything more than a, around a 1,000 yards and, and maybe eight touchdowns on a dozen, couple dozen catches, and that's just not going to get it done.
0: I mean, what, where does that put him? At 1,100 yards, say, 25 Probably somewhere catches.
1: around the RB20 range, I would okay. imagine, just without the pass catching, without the touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. starter. Like,
0: that's a weekly starter, RB20?
1: Sure. I, yeah. I would say that it's still a value pick where he's going. I think he's better than the RB32. I I don't I can't name 31 other running backs I'd rather have than him, but the breakout is hard for me to see. If, if the breakout in your head is just going from a, a low-end RB3 to a high-end RB3, like, okay, I could see that. Maybe even a low-end RB2, but I have a tough time envisioning anything better than that.
0: Well, I think he's the kind of guy that the breakout, in my opinion, is the the un, the unrealized volume that i think he's going to get like people aren't i don't think people are realizing how much volume he's going to get or at least in my opinion how much volume he's going to get so maybe the breakout in my in my head is actually that you know he's going to be a mainstay on that offense he's going to be a priority on that offense to get touches to and that's going to lead him to be a you know a, a high end low end rb2 and that's a weekly starter for me so a guy and he that, is he is
1: a very good running back like i don't want to come mm-hmm. across as like no i hate this guy I th- I think he's got the skill set to be a very, very good running back. It's just the situation with that team is the thing that has me worried.
0: I understand. And, I, you know, I could just say, like, yeah, he's going to rush for 1,600 yards and get 12 touchdowns, but I'm not going to be an idiot about it. I think he could be a mid-tier RB2. And if you're getting him in the sixth round, that's great. I mean, especially if he's not your RB1, RB2. If he's your RB3 and you're getting him in the sixth round and he's, you know, putting up RB2 numbers for you, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I would love to have that on my team. I'm, I'm actively searching for that in drafts this year.
1: I can dig it. Let's get on to the negative part, my favorite part. Let's talk about the bust. These guys that I am staying away from no matter what. And there's been one just hovering above the rest this entire offseason that I will have zero stocks of. If it's possible, I may end up with negative stocks of this player. And that is Cam Acres. Right now, he's going at the top of the second round as the RB11. And I, for the life of me, have no clue why. What we saw from him last year, 145 carries, 625 yards, and two touchdowns in 13 games. Okay, nothing impressive with that. His running mate, Daryl Henderson, had 138 carries, 624 yards, and five touchdowns. So he outproduced him. Very similar numbers, but he, technically he was outproduced by Daryl Henderson last year. What the, what he did through the air last season, 11 catches in 13 games for 123 yards and touchdown. If you have a running back in the NFL in fantasy who is getting less than one catch per game, he better be rushing for Derrick Henry type 1,800, 2,000 yards in a season. Otherwise, I don't know how he's getting his fantasy value. Uh, for context, Daryl Henderson, 16 catches, 159 yards and a touchdown, so outproduced him there too. There was only one see one game, sorry, of all 13 that Cam Akers played where he scored you more than 20 fantasy points. Congratulations, hey Daryl Henderson did it twice. You take the positives, the week 12 through 14 time frame where he got a just beaten and bruised San Francisco team playing third and fourth string guys on their defensive line, Arizona, who's never had a good defense to start with, and New England, whose defense opted out before the season. And yeah, he put up 14 points, 15 points, and 19 points. He did okay. This was not a monumental breakout that we saw from him at the end of the season. If you want that, go look at David Montgomery's stat line. That is what a nice finish to the season looks like. Where you see David Montgomery going right now at the 3-4 turnish area, that's where I would start thinking about Cam Akers because, honestly, I don't see the difference between the two. He doesn't catch passes. Everyone's assuming he's going to get this massive workload that we just didn't see from him last year. He had a 60% snap share last season in four games. So of the 13 games he played, he got given the rock as the lead back four different times, and he averaged 13 PPR fantasy points in those four games. Again, it's okay. This is not league winning upside that I saw from him last year, and I saw him sink you quite a few times in nine of his 13 games last season. He was under seven and a half PPR fantasy points, which as a manager, if you're putting out a starting uh, roster spot and you're getting less than seven and a half points from that spot, you're pissed. That just sunk your entire week. Just keep it in mind, everyone's out here, I think, trying to chase the next Todd Gurley when they pick Cam Akers with their first pick in the second round. I, I think that's idiotic. That's crazy to me. We're projecting so much onto his plate that we just did not get a hint of last year. I, there's no way in hell that I'm taking him over guys like DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Alaire from the same draft class who we at least saw flashes from. We at least saw either massive efficiency, massive workload, or just crazy highlight reel type plays out of these guys to make me think, okay, yeah, they're. There's something here. I didn't see anything out of Cam Akers last year to make me think, oh, I got to get my hands on this guy. I thought his Florida State film was much more impressive than anything I saw with him with the Rams last season. I just, I really hope you come in contrary to me on this one and tell me what the hell I'm missing because I feel like I'm living in Bozo land this all season watching everyone take Cam Akers in the first and second round of startup drafts. I can't justify it.
0: I mean, I like Cam Akers and I would take him there. I could see your side. Of, uh, you know, maybe we didn't see enough for you to be that bought in, but. I mean, his big coming-out party was that, that Week 14 game against New England where he had almost 200 yeah. almost 200 Again, yards.
1: Playing against backup defenders. Come on, y'all. Be smarter than this.
0: New England has a good defense. They had a good defense last year. I don't know where, where you're coming out with string that. a good defense. I don't know where you're coming out with that. but
1: No, 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 no. They, they were not a good defense last year. They appeared to be good because they ran the ball 30, 40 times a game, ran the clock, and they were playing shortened games. But their defense itself, all their studs were not playing football. It was a deceivingly good defense last season. It was not the elite defense we're used to seeing from New England. I'm not going to give you that one.
0: Well, we'll disagree there because I think their their defense was good. I think it's been good for about four years now. Um, but if you like Matt Stafford and what he, he's bringing to L.A. and you like all the weapons around him, I don't see how you can be this down on k Maybe you think... It, he's not going to get the volume that, you know, people think he'll get, which in my opinion, I think he's going to get a lot of volume. And I think letting Malcolm Brown walk was a good uh, predictor of that, or at least it, it's a factor in that they they plan to use him. Not to mention all they've said about him this offseason, which, you know, in previous offseasons, they haven't been talking up anyone running back. They've been talking about having a committee using multiple guys. In this offseason, we've heard comments from Sean McVay himself saying that they want to they want to utilize him to the, his fullest potential and specifically naming him. You know, not naming Dow Henderson. Not to mention they drafted Cam Akers high after already having Dow Henderson and last year was his rookie year. Rookies don't always fire, you know, to their fullest potential as a rookie, but you have to be able to project these guys in order to, you know, get them before their price is way too high. That's why you see him going at two or three. I think he he has every so, sorry, every sorry, I got it.
1: before you move on to your next point, I gotta say. Before you move on to your next point, we saw four different rookies who were being drafted behind him who did have that breakout in their rookie season. We saw it from DeAndre Swift, we saw it from DK Dobbins, we saw it from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and we saw it from Antonio Gibson. All four of them had monumentally better rookie seasons than we saw out of Cam Akers, and they're all going after him. I don't understand. I would would much rather have all four of those guys over Akers.
0: Okay, DeAndre Swift is going to get... I like DeAndre Swift a lot, and I think he, there's an argument to make over him over Cam Akers. I'm not going to fight you on that. I don't think CEH is going to get the rushing work uh, or the goal line work that, or the red zone work in general that Cam Akers is going to get. I think that is enough mm-hmm. to, to have Cam Akers higher, in my opinion. Uh, Antonio, Antonio Gibson had a ton of touchdown luck last year, so I don't know if you can look at the amount of touchdowns he got and the lack of receiving and say that he's going to produce more than Cam Akers. And who is the fourth guy, J.K. Dobbins? Huge question mark in the receiving game. And I don't think that's a problem with Cam Akers. I think you these...
1: didn't name a single thing while you're sitting here tearing down these four guys. You didn't I'm not name tearing a them down. I'm just telling you. It wasn't all the negatives you just named, though, are also true about Cam Akers. He's bad in the receiving game. He didn't get red zone work. Like All these negatives that you're saying about these other guys are also true about Cam Akers, but to an even higher extent. I, I, you want to bet right now who has more catches this year, J.K. Dobbins or Cam Akers? Give me J.K. Dobbins.
0: All right, let's make that bet, then. I'll bet. make that bet right now.
1: By the end of the show, we're going to figure out what it's going to be. Uh, we yeah, already have to sure. watch Hamilton, so I'm excited for that one. What's your name,
0: man? Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, how many catches did J.K. Dobbins have on a... He was pretty healthy all season, wasn't he? Uh, Let me check.
1: So, uh, yeah, he stayed healthy. I think he missed a game or two, but he was... Uh, playing behind Ingram and Edwards for the first half of the season. But yeah. I will double check. Edwards,
0: is, in my opinion, Edwards is still a much bigger threat to J.K. Dobbins than Dow Henderson is to Cam Akers. So that's probably fair. Yeah. And I'm trying to find his uh, –
1: He had 18 catches last This is
0: great podcasting, season. by the way. I was just looking up analytics. Right? <laughs> um, he had
1: 18 catches, J.K. Dobbins, 18 catches on 24 targets, which, yeah, that's not a lot, but mm-hmm. that's still a lot more than Cam Akers had last year.
0: Okay, cam Akers had
1: cam He yeah, like had like 11, 11 catches.
0: Eleven catches, and he missed. You know, he actually played some he, games. He played thirteen that he, that games. He, yeah, yeah, but he didn't play full a full thirteen game schedule. I mean, he he played in certain games, but he did not finish. I think more than Th-
1: this is this is where the cutoff I think is is everyone is projecting that Cam Akers is going to be this seventy percent snap share running back next season, but we didn't see it. Last season, and and for me, I, I think Daryl Henderson's better. I know the Rams don't feel that way, and there's most people out there probably don't feel that way, but I don't think that this is going to be a Todd Gurley situation where Cam Akers is out there working 70% snap shares every week. I don't, I don't see it happening, and even if it does, I didn't see anything last season to make me think that he's going to hold on to that job should he earn it.
0: Here it is. He had 33 red zone touches, Cam Akers, three per game. That was 19th in the league. Uh, At the running back position. And they were the seventh highest rated running attack, rushing attack in football last year. So, I mean, and and nobody can really talk down his situation in terms of what's around him. Like maybe you can say that Matt Stafford isn't going to be as impactful as a lot of people are saying. I I don't see how you can think it's going to be worse than it was last year um, when they were – very predictive. Everybody knew that they wanted to run the ball because they had Jared Goff. Uh and it you know yeah. he was he was never a threat to anybody. Um I think he's going to be more efficient and everybody thinks he's very talented. I, th- I don't think you're saying he's not talented. I don't think you're saying he's he can't get it done no. as as a player. Um but you, your big argument is what, the opportunity. You don't think he's going to you it's, think is going to be drafted. more of a factor than
1: I don't want to draft players at their ceiling already, and he's being drafted way past the ceiling. We're projecting him to shatter his ceiling with where he's being drafted right now, and I don't want any part of that. We've been talking about him for a while, so I'll just say one last thing, and I'll drop the mic. The Patriots finished last season 27th in defensive DVOA. Get the hell out of here saying they were a good defense. <laughs> oh,
0: geez. You know he's only 22 years old?
1: Yeah, do you know Joe Mixon's only twenty four years old? Nothing with the show at all it has nothing to do with anything. But I saw it today Joe Mixon's only twenty four years old. He's been in the league for thirty eight years. I don't know how it's possible.
0: Yeah, he's been in the league forever. Uh, I think it's just because we people talked about him so much when he was coming yeah, to the every league. There, it feels like whether yeah, you love him or hate him, you're talking about every, him, year. every year, constantly talking about him. <laughs> Moving on, my my bust candidate is a guy I mentioned earlier, Josh Jacobs. He is going as the RB eighteen in the early third round, three hundred five. So my big problem with Josh Jacobs, which I'm sure you've heard a lot of fantasy analysts talk down Josh Jacobs uh, this year, but I, I think I'm coming at it at a different angle. I don't think Josh Jacobs is a bad running back. I think he's a solid running back. I think he's he's definitely better than the average. He's, de- he's a better-than-replacement-level better running back, and that doesn't sound like a glaring review, but the way people are talking about him, you'd think he's absolutely horrible. Um, so my big problem with him going as the RB18 is the guys around him and the situation that he's finding himself in in twenty twenty one. the offseason moves that they that they went through were just it, it's so confusing what they're doing in Las Vegas. Nobody seems to have a good uh, a good idea or a good you know projection of what their major yeah. plan is here, but they keep losing offensive linemen. Like granted they're older offensive linemen, but they they had a unit that was very good and they were they, they had continuity, right? They had, um, I think, three veteran offensive linemen leave the team this year. Now, even if you don't think that they were very good offensive linemen or that they're past their prime offensive linemen, the replacement-level offensive linemen in the NFL, it's usually a huge drop-off from veteran players because these younger players, even if they have a, a, a good ceiling or a good projection later in the career, you know, rookie and young offensive linemen take a while to develop and a while to build chemistry and continuity in an offense, and you're just completely throwing that out the window. And that was the one thing you could rely on with Josh Jacobs is that he wasn't very efficient, but he had the volume and he was running behind a good offensive line. That's gone. That it really, like, I, I can't imagine they have a better than top or bottom 12 offensive linemen this year. That's, that's, in my opinion, I don't think there's a chance in hell that they're that they're better than a you know bottom half of the league offensive lineman. And is Josh Jacobs good enough to overcome that? I don't think so. Not to mention everybody that plays against them knows that they want to run the ball. They want to be you know a smash mouth offense, and that's not gonna they're not gonna be able to accomplish that with the offensive line they're putting out this year. And if there's any development in their wide receiving weapons, they're going to demand opportunity. They're going to demand targets. Also they brought in Kenyon Drake. They paid him eleven million dollars. I when that fr- signing first happened, I kind of played it down. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But I'm trying to I, I was looking at it in my opinion, logically. I don't know if the Raiders are looking at it logically. I think they they were ecstatic to pay him eleven to eleven million dollars, have him come in and get work. And if he's getting work behind a, a bad offensive line, taking touches away from Josh Jacobs, there's no reason to take him as RBA team. When the guys going around him have a much better projection, more reason to be excited. And uh, you know, it's just it's a much easier to swallow pill like, you know, what what they're gonna see this year has the opportunity to be fantastic. I don't think anything Josh Jacobs this year I don't think he can do anything this year to overcome the R B eighteen, to be better than the R B eighteen. So I, I just I'm I'm out on Josh Jacobs and maybe he's he's good the volume will still be there and he's good enough To give you RB2 numbers, but not at the price of passing up on a Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones type.
1: When I'm I'm thinking about Josh Jacobs, he's playing for the Raiders who are just an anomaly on their own. They're such a unique team. No one has any idea what the plan is, like you said, for this franchise. But at least as far as last season went, they were a surprisingly effective offense. They actually were eighth in the NFL in total yards. And so we we have to think that unless this offense is just complete day and night, in 2021 that it's still going to be at least a league average or better offense and a lot of that has to do with the fact that their defense is awful and they're playing catch up a lot of the time and I understand that but fantasy owners also love that if they are a, a league average or better offense in 2021 who's soaking in these yards and touchdowns Darren Waller's a shoe in. he's, he's the obvious one he's going to have a crazy high again like 30 percent target share on that team that's great The question is going to be what do we get from these young receivers, the second-year guys in Ruggs and Edwards and then John Brown. Do do any of them step up and – command a bulk of the yardage because I, I really don't think Kenyon drake is that big of a threat i know they threw some money at them but i don't think money means much to the vegas raiders i, I, I don't really put a lot of stock into that i think he's going to go back to being what he was they'll in just Miami. go get it
0: back at the roulette table yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> good luck <laughs> I, I think we see Kenyon drake go back into his role of what he was. I, th- I think it was a mistake for Arizona ever to try him in a lead back role. I said it at the time. He, it's just not who he is. He's he's going to be uh, a change of pace back. So I, th- I think this is still Jacobs' job to have. I think my biggest change in perception with Jacobs is that I, I still think he has a very similar floor to what he's had the first two years of his career, but I don't think the ceiling is there anymore. The, his rookie year, he was drafted because of the volume that was guaranteed to him. His second year, everyone was hoping for a breakout with the pass catching, if you remember that, to see him catch 40, 50 passes and really transform his game, becoming every down back. I don't think that's in his range of outcomes anymore with Drake there, but similar to my Damian Harris argument, where are the fantasy points going to come from? Because if he's not catching 50, 60 passes, if he's not scoring a dozen or more touchdowns how does he have an rb1 ceiling and i don't think either of those are in his range of outcomes so i don't think rb1 is in his range of outcomes anymore i do think he's still where you're getting him in drafts in the running back dead zone you hate to grab running backs there but if you are forced to take a running back there i think he's fine for a floor play if you have a team uh constructed that you can build around that then i'm fine with having him on my teams because i think it's he's getting a little too much negative press at this point and i don't think it's because of anything he's done people are just I don't know if it's over criticizing the Raiders or if it's all just criticism, but I, I think the floor is still there of the high end RB three, low end RB two. And, and there is a place for that on your fantasy team. If you have to draft that in the third round. Yeah, I'm definitely hands off. If I can get him in the fourth, maybe, but fifth or sixth rounds where I really start looking at him. If I've been ignoring the running back position and I'm fine with taking Jacobs to fill one of those spots.
0: All right, we're going to play a little game here.
1: Oh yes. I was not expecting. All right.
0: This. Would you like to play a game? Hello.
1: You don't know me, but I know you. I want
0: to play a game. I love games. I'm gonna give you a name, and you tell me Josh Jacobs or that player. Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs. Really? I'd rather have Miles Sanders. I think the
1: offense is gonna be better. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I'd, I'd rather have the floor of the Raiders, so I'd rather have Jacobs.
0: Okay. And this is Dynasty, by the way. Javante Williams. Javante with a bullet. David Montgomery.
1: I have them back to back, but I have Montgomery ahead.
0: Really? Okay. Yes. Trey Sermon.
1: Ooh, that's a team construct.
0: (laughs) This is your guy, too. I know. I I love him. That's a
1: team construct thing, though, because I can't rely on Trey Sermon if I go zero running back or I have to put him in my starting lineup. I can't count on that year one. I'd love to have Trey Sermon as my RB3, no matter where that is in drafts. But I don't want to have to rely on him to be in my lineup in his rookie
0: season. I know you're a little lower on this player than I am, but Travis Etienne.
1: Etienne. I'll take Etienne before You're not that crazy,
0: then. No, <laughs> they're not that crazy.
1: I, like I said, I've come around on ETN a little bit. I think All the right. thing that really got me going with ETN is I thought back to uh, the Detroit situation from a couple years ago, where I mean, the draft capital doesn't match up here, but where on Johnson had a very good rookie season, second season. Obviously, he had the injuries, but he was a very good running back. He was, uh, I think, he was at least in points per game, probably a low end RB one during that time. And then Detroit spends a day two pick on DeAndre Swift. And that was just it. It was over. And if an NFL team can move on from, I think on was also a day two a day two pick. So just if a third I can her. yeah. So if you can see NFL teams move on from day two picks just like that, then they're going to move on from the undrafted guys just as fast. And it's it's for that reason that I'm getting higher and higher on ETN by the day. And I am just one hundred percent completely not touching Robinson for anything. I'm not taking him with my last pick. I don't want him on my team
0: all right last one here just because i want to i want to stake my claim josh jacobs or damian harris jacobs give me harris baby all right do do we got to make that part of the bet
1: i want to make that one part of the bet too
0: (laughs) no i don't i'm not that that (laughs) That would
1: be a bold one for you to be fair
0: (laughs) yeah that would be very bold all right so do
1: do you figure out what you want to did you figure out what you want to put up for capital on our bet yet because i got mine
0: all right let's hear it what do you got
1: Right, you're going to watch the 2010 Green Bay Packers Super Bowl DVD, and you're going to message me your favorite play from each
0: game. Jesus, dude. I mean, how long <laughs> is that thing? Oh, that's oh.
1: by the way, that's two games against your Eagles. We got you early in the season and yeah, then in the, playoffs, the wild card, too. too. You yeah. get to see Clay Matthews shatter Michael Vick's collarbone.
0: Mm-hmm. So that'll be yeah, fun for you. Yeah, that was fun. No, That was great.
1: <laughs> Sorry, it's bad to laugh at injuries like that, but... <laughs>
0: Alright. Oh. You are you are going to rewatch the entire Packers Packers Seahawks NFC Championship game. Oh
1: no, from fourteen.
0: And you're gonna have to No, don't go further to,
1: on this, man. This is already hell.
0: Not only are you gonna have to watch it, but you're gonna have to actively tell me all like how confident you are going into the half, all this other stuff. I did and this in slowly. real time with you. Exactly. I, heard... I want you to relive the exact the <laughs> way that you felt. All right, brother, let's go back to Hawaii. And we'll
1: reenact we'll re- it minute by minute where I literally had <laughs> plays in the third quarter that I didn't watch. I went to the bathroom or stepped outside or something, which I never do during Packers games. That's how confident I was. I was taking plays <laughs> off, and so the
0: f*** were they. <laughs> well, they they had five interceptions that game, right? Russell Wilson threw five yeah! oh, oh, man.
1: Do I have to rewatch it? I'm already pretty pissed off now.
0: <laughs> hey, if you lose, you lose. <laughs> Uh, I got one thing kind of off the off the dome here, but since we're doing um, sleepers, breakouts, and busts, I wanted to add a little fourth category here. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard for you to come up with this one because of how you know crazy we are about fantasy. What? Give me one player that you can't quit, like your truther guy that you've been kind of on for a year or two, maybe more, that hasn't shown you anything, but you're not giving up.
1: Gosh, there there's a few of these guys that I like in receiver rooms, in the double-digit rounds. I think this is my last year. I think the, the one to really answer your question, I think this is the last year I'll do it. But if Traequan Smith doesn't boom this year, I will finally be moving on next season. With all the okay. make, the open targets with Jared Cook being gone, a change at quarterback, I don't know, maybe, maybe he kissed Drew Brees' wife or something and he just had a vendetta, I have no idea. <laughs> but if, if it doesn't happen this season, it'll be my last one with Traquan Smith.
0: I don't hate that. I think uh, if there's any time to be in on Trayvon Smith, it's right now. Um, and similar to like your Russell Gage pick for the sleepers, you'll know pretty early, I think, whether yeah. it's time to cut bait on Con Smith or not. My guy, he's not. he hasn't really been in the league that long, but I was huge on him coming out of the draft, and I really wanted the Eagles to get him. Well, can hit. I guess it? Can I guess it? Go ahead.
1: Is it Curtis Samuel?
0: No. I've always loved Curtis oh. Samuel, but um, he's not – I can't even call him like a truth anymore because everybody's on him. Um, yeah, I would say my guy is KJ Hamler coming out of Penn State last year, ended up going to Denver. I thought by now they would have a wide a quarterback that could get him the ball. Still haven't still haven't seen that yet. But that's tough. Yeah, I you're, love
1: you right though. I love
0: KJ Hamler. I think he's one of the best. This is going to sound bad. One of the best ball tracking receivers. Swing. I've seen come out in a while I think he's fantastic down the field and when the Eagles drafted Jalen Rager I knew that there was no chance they were going to get two uh fast you know deep threat type receivers in that same draft so I just kind of just gave up on him but I've been following him at Denver and you know he's had health concerns in college that kind of followed him into the league but I really like KJ Hamler and I think if they get a quarterback there he could be you know a, a best ball favorite for for people in coming years because of you know how how quickly and easily he can you know break a game open
1: you can't take him anywhere outside of best ball though because is, is he the question is is he the fifth or sixth option in that passing game because you're you got sutton judy and fant with a bullet ahead of him right mm-hmm. tim patrick has been ahead of him this last year he was ahead of him and then what kind of a receiving role is javante williams gonna have so he,
0: yeah i, I, can see I, I don't him. see
1: his path in many games
0: I mean, you got to think they're gonna, they're playing against Kansas City twice, the Chargers twice. They're going to be throwing the ball a yeah. If he stays healthy, um, I think he could pass Tim Patrick on that list, no problem. Um, and he plays a totally different role that than Judy or Fant does. So um, I don't know if they're really going to be competing for targets. It's just about whether they want to utilize his role more than they want to utilize his field. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they spent a they spent a second round pick on him, so they better want to get him on the field. Yeah, yeah. End. But I mean, Judy and
1: Sutton were both first round picks. Fant was a first round pick. That's nuts.
0: Yeah, there's no excuse for any quarterback in Denver. Holy
1: cow. That was no, every quarterback. God, And Drew Luck and their offensive line is worse good than we too. even think. And they have a solid they have, they have offensive have invested, line. Yeah, They've
0: invested, yeah, they've invested
1: so much draft capital. I think they have a couple first rounders on their offensive line too. Yeah. And this this is the Broncos. They haven't been good since Manning was in town. So these are usually capital or at least middle of the first round picks. Come on, get your head out of your ass. This is There's an argument to be
0: made that they have the best roster in the NFL shy of quarterback.
1: Sure. For sure. It just like tells that, you how important the position is, man.
0: Yeah, it's insane. And, uh
1: or how bad Drew Lock is. Maybe both.
0: All right, man. That's it for the show today. Pretty quick one today.
1: Yeah, we uh, we cut down on our time today. I think we're going to get today to be a little bit more of the norm. Keep it around that hour, Mark. But, uh, yeah, hit us up on social media at FFlexecution. Hit me up at FFmasterDebater as the fantasy season gets a little bit closer. We're rolling into draft season, my dude. We, You and I got a startup coming up. We got. Uh, I got a few more redrafts that I got to do before the season starts. Fantasy season's about to be in full swing here in the next couple of months. As soon as training camp starts up, it's going to be nonstop for the next seven months. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I hate best ball, but I'm so excited that I've I've done about five best ball drafts now. <laughs> so that, if that tells you what you need to know. Mm-hmm. All right, boy. Say goodbye to the people. Later, y'all. Next time. Peace.